Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. My intention with this experiment is to inspire hope and inspiration in your creative pursuits. Follow along as I interview artists, makers, entrepreneurs, and creatives from all walks of life. Listen while you work, listen while you create, listen while you dream up the next breakthrough idea. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, or craft, whatever that may be. These interviews are evidence of that fact. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this with your friends, family, and all those creative people you know out there. Now, let's dive into this concept we call creativity. Welcome back, everybody. Taylor G here. Thanks for joining me again. It's been a little while. It took about three weeks off, maybe even a month since the last uh, podcast recording. And yeah, I'm back. Lot lot going on. Did a little uh, quarantine road trip through the west west coast of the United States. It was a lot of fun. Got to see my family that I hadn't seen in a long time. Um, yeah. Stayed safe through the whole thing. That was good. And today, today we've got a special guest. Her name is Leah Riddell. She's from Lafayette, Colorado, which is just outside of Denver. She really dove into her art through face painting and art as uh, as fun and excitement and entertainment and then has dove into and gotten farther into henna. And in this episode, we get to learn all about henna. There's a rich worldwide history of henna, and it's really cool. I get her to talk about all of that, and so I learned a ton there. And then um, we dive into some big questions about like the concept of cultural appropriation, and uh, and then we get Leah to shed some wisdom from her perspectives on life. So. This is a good one. I hope you enjoy. You can check out Leah on Instagram at facefiesta or online at denverhenna.com. So without further ado, Leah Riddell. All right. You here? Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Do you have your headphones in? I have my headphone in. How's it sound? Yeah, it sounds great. Sweet. Yep. Um, all right, cool. Well, then I think we'll, uh, we'll just dive in. Awesome. All right. So just, uh, yeah, we'll get quiet and I'll go for it. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Art and Live podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is a very special artist, Leah Riddell. Now, I'll let Leah tell you about her, but uh, yeah, Leah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Taylor. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. We've been, uh, we've been talking about doing this for a little while, but it didn't quite seem like it was the right time a couple months ago because um, COVID was really locking down in that first phase and everything just felt really weird and now we're into phase two and everything's still really weird, but at this point you got to just like keep going. So yes, yes. 
What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. Still weird. Still weird. Maybe even a little weirder in some ways. <laughs> oh, my God. Some days I wake up and it's just like a whole day of like, is this really what's going on right now? Oh, I agree. I agree. And sometimes I do horrible things like look at my calendar from last summer and kind of torture myself on like what a normal summer looked like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely those thoughts of like, man. Remember when we could just like go sit at a cafe and have right. a cup of coffee and you just don't have to worry about it? Right. Right. There's no big deal. Um, well, yeah, let's just dive into it. Why don't you uh, tell everyone who you are, where you're from, how you got to here, what, what you're all about? All right. Um, well, my name is Leah Riddell and um, my business is Face Fiesta and Denver Henna. Um, I'm originally from Texas. But I've lived in Colorado for a really long time, like 30-something years now, um, 31, 32 years. So I've been here for a long time. And so, you know, my business has been rooted in Colorado from the very beginning. Um, I started uh, about 17, almost 18 years ago um, as a face painter and uh, truly started that, like, on a lark. Uh, I mean, I had been working as a recreational therapist with senior citizens with dementia. Um, and so I was doing a lot of artistic stuff already in my life and in my work and um, interacting with and entertaining people was a big part of my job. And I think what I realized the path that I really wanted, but I also really wanted to be my own boss and make my own schedule um, and do my own work. And it was honestly like on a lark that I got into face painting, like being at a party, seeing another artist, you know, doing research, connecting with other artists. This was like back in the old school days of the forums, you know, joining forums and um, talking with other face painters and body artists. So it kind of, everything grew out of that. Um, and it was about three years into that, that I started doing henna and, um, you know, really started doing henna originally from a business standpoint of wanting to appeal to a larger demographic, more adults, more teens, um, different kinds of events. Um, but what I didn't reckon on with henna was how much I was going to completely fall in love with it. Um, just even as an art medium, like the stuff itself, I love drawing with and, um, the history, the cultures, um, everything about it. I absolutely love. So, you know, at this point over the past few years, Hen has definitely dominated my business. And honestly, now post COVID henna dominates my business even more. What little shred of my business is left? <laughs> it's almost all henna right now. Yeah, because you can, you can actually, I mean, I'm in the same boat with live wedding art, you know, it, yeah. they're, they're, it's, it's gone yeah. completely. Yeah. And, and if it comes back at all, um, it's so many red flags, you know, like I actually turned down a wedding event today that's coming up in about three weeks. Cause it was a large group of people, you know, all, pretty much all of them will have traveled from some other place in the United States. And, you know, for me right now, I, uh, that exceeds my risk tolerance, you know, I'm not getting a lot of offers like that, but those few that come through, I'm like, what, are you crazy? 
Yeah, and you would be as the face painter, you would be oh my God. sharing a very intimate space with somebody's face. Uh, well, that would be that would be Henna. The wedding would have been Henna. But, oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. 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 Face painting right now. I mean, it's truly non-existent and. Um, and if somebody is requesting, I mean, I'll still get the random request here and there. Um, uh, you know, there's so many safety questions, like pretty much if I shouldn't be touching my own face, you know, I shouldn't be touching your face either. Um, so there's a lot of discussion right now about, you know, how to keep your kit sanitary, um, how to be, uh, as clean as possible. And there's a couple of artists I've been working with who are Canadian, who've had a lot stricter rules and more regulating than the U.S. in general for that business. Um, and there are some ways to do it. There are actually some ways to keep it as clean as possible and not cross-contaminate your makeup. But that being said, you still have to be up close and personal with a kid without a mask on. Um, and I just don't see that happening for a long time so <laughs> wow and yeah like the, the cross-contamination thing i didn't even think about right that. like loading your brush touching a person and then touching your paint again you know you really have to break that habit entirely so oh, um God. you know i feel like i kind of have this system laid out but it's going to require you know some real retraining of my muscle memory just to kind of start doing things um Different. Well, totally. And, and when, like, I'm thinking about me painting in the studio mm. and like, I'll, I, a lot of times I kind of get like into a, a whole different mindset, a whole different like state of being where I'm yeah. not think, thinking in the same way. Uh, like, and so to yeah. do that, yeah, it would be a complete repatterning, retraining of your, your whole system. You're just like in the zone, in the zone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas with henna, it's like, at this moment right now, I can technically be taking some individual clients, which I just started doing like at the end of June, but then I had to stop again because I had surgery on one of my ears. Um, and so now I'm looking at potentially restarting that again, coming up in the next week or so. Um, but there's so much more control over just like me and one other person as opposed to a party and an event and you know, a bunch of kids running around potentially. Um, so, you know, when I'm just dealing with one or two clients, then it becomes so simple. It's like, all right, we're meeting in the backyard, outdoors, you know, in my little shady spot where I even have a fan set up to circulate the air. I'm wearing a face mask and a face shield and they're wearing a face mask. I just feel like there's a lot more um, controllable variables in that kind of scenario that yeah. right now I think I feel comfortable with. <laughs> yeah. Although it keeps shifting. You know, what's really saved my business over these past months is selling my fresh henna cones to local people. I don't ship them anywhere. I just sell them to people local to me. Um, and teaching online henna classes. I have a lot of local libraries that I've taught for in the past um, who've been scrambling to figure out what to do this summer, you know, to still be able to offer programming, especially for teen groups who are kind of, you know, starving for this kind of thing right now. 
Um, and that's, that's been fantastic. You know, I feel like the libraries have been so awesome to keep working with, um, have been supportive of me, have been supportive of trying new things. And, um, and I'm so grateful for that. Totally. Totally. It's like the needs are still very much there. Like the human need for creativity, connection, um, intrigue, all these different things. That's all still there. It's just, you, it's like harder to get to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it takes this little extra level of effort to make it happen. Um, and, and it's also just made me rethink, almost entirely how I view my business, you know, cause for a long time, it's just been like, you know, go, 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 go. And taking every event, doing everything. And, you know, over time kind of winnowing down to the larger events and the kind of things that I really want to do. Um, but then this has made me rethink it again. <laughs> you know? Like, like, what do I really want to do and what kind of art do I really want to make and what kind of people do I want to bring to my business and bring to my interaction and in a way I felt like things were already starting to turn that way early in the year like I felt like I was really getting a vision on just who's my ideal client you know um and I had a few early in the year before things got crazy um who were just amazing. You know, it's typically these individual clients who are coming to me, um, you know, with a real specific intention, whether it's celebrating or um, sometimes healing or even grieving. I mean, there's like this incredible range that people come to me for. And when, and I, when I can offer them something in my art and in the experience um, that helps them you know focus on that intention or do that thing that they're wanting to do um that's the best you know that's what i want more of and what i hope for more of as um business shifts you know yeah that's awesome okay so why don't you dive into that concept for a little bit because some people might not know what henna is at all and then You know, and then I definitely want to hear what you're talking about with that sort of, I mean, it sounds like, like it's transformational, like it's a transformational experience for people that like, almost like therapeutic and yeah, um, yeah. go, go for it. Okay. Um, So I will tell folks briefly. um, So henna is an actual plant. There's an actual a plant that grows in the world um, and it's the leaves of the plant that artists are using and it's actually been used for thousands of years you know at least 4,000 years the oldest known use goes back to Africa northern Africa um, I think in the United States we tend to associate it with India because that's where most of us including myself were first exposed to it um, but it's actually only been used in India for about the last six to eight hundred years um 
so it's incredibly widespread throughout the world, um, incredibly widespread culturally. Every major religion has used henna at some point um, in a specific culture. You know, people often ask me, like, isn't this a Hindu thing? And it's like, nope, it's really not. Um, it, it will be used in Hindu ceremonies, but it will also be used in Muslim ceremonies, uh, Christian ceremonies, Jewish ceremonies. Um, it's very widespread, but I would say pretty much across the board, it's almost always celebratory in some way, um, although it's also been used medicinally in some cultures as well. So it just, it has this incredibly rich and amazing history um, just as a plant and as an art medium. Um, it's really only been used um, in the West. Real quick, how's it? How's it taken from a plant form to the brown, like, oh, goo? The dye? <laughs> yeah. So all good henna artists are going to make their own henna or use it, um, you know, buy it from an artist who makes it. A lot of those pre-made cones and stuff that you see on the shelf at stores or on Amazon um, are not real henna because it has no shelf life. It's kind of like food. Um, so oh, when, wow. I, when I make a batch of henna, um, I'm buying the powdered leaves of the henna plant. So it's already been grown, dried, sifted down to a really fine powder. Um, but it's nothing but the henna leaves that are in that. And then I'll mix it with either water or black tea. Um, and truthfully, like all you really need is henna and water. I mean, you can make it just with that. Um, a lot of artists, though, choose to use something more acidic, like lemon juice or tea. Um, it gives it a little better shelf life over time. Um, we also put sugar in the mix. That helps it stick to your skin as it dries. Um, and usually essential oils are a blend of essential oils, but it can't be just any. Um, it's got to be a, an essential oil that has terpene alcohols in it, which um, so something like tea tree, eucalyptus, um, cajaput, nioli, lavender has it. Um, you know, if you wanted to dig in more, there's some great websites. Anybody could be feel free to message me because I'm I love. I love sending people in a direction for natural, real henna if they want to find it or if they want to make it themselves. Um, and so after I make it, you know, you mix all these things together. It's got to have time for the dye in the leaf to release from the plant. Um, and it's this molecule. It's called the lawzone molecule that actually loves keratin. So skin, fingernails hair it's technically a permanent dye like it's gonna bind with those molecules permanently but when you think about it all those parts of your body uh renew themselves over time so like your skin is going to renew itself completely over your entire body about every three weeks um and well, that's about as long as henna is going to last. I mean, it also depends on, you know, wear on your body, if it's a lot of wear and tear, like hands right now, we're washing hands even more than normal. Um, so I can usually get like a solid week of it looking good on my hands. Um, the longest lasting place for me is usually my feet and ankles. Like I can get a solid three weeks. Um, I think your skin just exfoliates different there, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like hair and fingernails, I mean, it will dye your fingernails. And in some cultures, it's like 
a normal thing to like completely cover your fingertips or even your toenails like in Sudan um, you'll see a lot of bridal henna where like the bottoms of their feet the soles of their feet and their toenails will be completely covered um, but think about how long it takes for a fingernail to grow out like you're committed. <laughs> you whoa, yep. <laughs> yeah, whoa. Like months and months. Yes. For like months six months. months. Um, <laughs> although it is, uh, Hannah is an antifungal, the plant. So, you know, for some people on their toenails, that can be a really awesome thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> are, there, uh, are there cultural styles that are identifiable? Like, oh, that's more of like a Sudanese look or oh. that's like an Indian look and that's... yes. 100%. And I encourage people to dig in because it is so cool and pretty mind blowing. Like I love teaching classes when like all anybody's ever seen is Indian style. Um, because, you know, there's some real distinct st styles like Moroccan and specifically even like Fezzi style, which would be like from the town of Fez in Morocco. That traditional style is very distinct um and mauritanian and pretty much like it'd be so cool to do a trip like all the way across northern africa and kind of look at how the style shifts and changes as you move like from west to east because by the time you get to the east side like to sudan it's completely different and and really bold and really unlike any thing I had ever seen. Like I have a whole Pinterest page devoted to nothing but Sudanese style henna because it's so different. And like most people I know who are like graphic designers love the Sudanese style because it is like, like you could put it on a shower curtain or something. <laughs> like sometimes oh, yeah. I see the designs and I'm like, this would be the most amazing wall covering. <laughs> um, but also Arab style is very distinct. Sometimes it's called Gulf or Persian style. Um, that is another really distinct, but you know, but then there's like this fine line between where Gulf style starts being influenced by Indian style and Indian style starts being influenced by Gulf style. So, um, so it's cool. It's, it's really cool to see the different styles that have emerged and as those folks have moved to different parts of the world. Um, some of the most incredible henna artists, in my opinion, right now, are in Canada, of all places. Um, and I, I would argue that there might even be, you know, d other distinct styles that are emerging, like something that you could call like, uh, you know, I'm totally making this up. I don't know, like Indo-Canadian or <laughs> Arab-Canadian. Um, that's kind of like its own thing. And it's also like influencing other artists around the world, you know? So okay. it's pretty cool. That's the coolest thing, how everybody, like art is just constantly influencing itself in different ways. And there's different <sighs> streams of people going all over. And one artist takes like their childhood influence yeah. and then moves to Canada. And then before you know it, Canada is this like hotbed for yeah. uh yeah, Toronto. To like yeah, Toronto right now. Like just has like just a handful of henna artists that are like off the hook. Amazing. Oh. It's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um 
Okay. Well, what what else about henna? Um, okay. Mm. So then, like, go into yeah, go into what your experiences for people are like for them. Like, what yeah. you're go into that. Okay. Like, well, so you know, sometimes I get to do I think what people would consider more traditional. Um, as far as like weddings or bridal parties and that kind of thing go. So, you know, pretty much every culture that uses henna, you know, the it's used for wedding celebrations for sure. Um, so I've definitely had uh, more tra- traditional, I hesitate to call it traditional because it's, I mean that mostly in the sense of what we tend to associate henna with. Um, so that is definitely a piece of my business. And I like that because even within the brides and grooms I've gotten to henna, there's such a huge range of experience and intention that they're setting with their, the art that they're getting. And, um, one of the last wedding pieces I got to do before things got crazy was in February. Um, I had a groom contact me who wanted henna for himself and his bride, but it was a really unique circumstance um, because he had actually just had a, a tumor the size of a baseball, and I'm not exaggerating because he showed it to me on his MRI, um, removed from his brain um, and had like this huge scar on his head and wanted to do uh, something artistic around that scar. And it was all very recent, you know, like within six months before the wedding was when he'd had this surgery and his life had just gone crazy. Um, And then his wife for their wedding was shaving part of her head and also getting that hennaed um, and then also getting a piece on her back to go with her dress that was partially backless. So, so it's such a cool mix to me because in a way they're tapping into this traditional celebratory thing with this plant. And yet they're also bringing it in, in a completely different way for like a symbol of healing, you know, marking both of these major moments of their life of, you know, medical transformation as well as their marriage. Um, so it, it was like this really cool combo of different things coming together for this wedding. Um, I'm not, wow. yeah, it, and I love that. I love, and sometimes it just blows me away that I even get to get be part of that. You know? Totally. And I, I feel the same way when I get to do portraits sometimes, um, you know, someone will commission a portrait of like, a family member that just passed away or something like, like something very meaningful to them. And I can just see it and feel it. And like to be a part of something like that is like, man, this, I'm so lucky to be in this moment right now. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe I get to be a part of this person's history or their family's history. Like I'm marking this moment for them um, in a way that's, that's so much bigger than me and so much it's just it's really cool yeah and it's like it's got this extra energy to it because it's deeper it's like that much that much deeper yeah i agree 
Um, and well, and then henna. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool concept that like that it does go away over time. And so like I've there's this one bracelet that I got one last summer at an event, <laughs> and the idea was that you you set an intention with your bracelet, and then yeah. when the bracelet you wear it until the bracelet falls off. Yeah, and it's a pretty common thing, and like that's. I wonder. I mean, do you? Uh, does that go along with henna ever or is there anything oh, I think so. like that absolutely absolutely i mean in some cultures there's real specific stuff around it like with indian brides like you know the longer your henna lasts um i've heard it connected to two different things you know i've heard the darkness of your henna being connected to how much your husband loves you oh, wow. um, little pressure for the henna artist there. yeah um, but also how long your henna lasts. When you think of the tradition of a bride going to live with her husband's family, um, so living with her husband and her mother-in-law, so how long your henna lasts might be symbolic of how much your mother-in-law loves you. So if you've moved in with her soon after your wedding and she's making you work really hard, your henna's uh. going to wear off faster. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah yeah um but i've had it in other situations um you know i think that's a fun example of like a cultural view of like the length of your henna lasting um totally. but i've but i've definitely had people come to me you know wanting the henna to be on them for specific moments i've had pregnant moms who try to time the henna on their belly so it's actually there when at the birth like <laughs> so it's like art on their body and something for them to focus on um that's that one's a little tricky i right off the bat i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes you don't even intend for it to be there when the mom's giving birth and it is there when the mom's giving birth so that one's a little bit more of a crapshoot um also had people around surgeries um and I actually even did that before the surgery I just did. Um, I did an emblem on my palm to help me remember to be calm. <laughs> yeah. and, and also knowing that the henna, actually I can still see the henna on my palm. It's been exactly, it's been about two and a half weeks since I drew the henna on myself and two weeks since my surgery. And it was like a comfort for me putting, drawing the design on myself like two days before my surgery, knowing that that design was going to see me through um, all of it, including that couple of weeks healing time after. Um, totally. It's almost like a, like a visualization, the way that an athlete would visualize yeah. like making the basket and seeing it through. And yeah, it's sort of like a physical visualization tool. Yes. Like this is still going to be on me. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to heal. And, and over that time, this hand will still be there and be slowly disappearing. Wow. Over time. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of, if any, like, what's your viewpoint on tattoos and how do tattoos and henna sort of interrelate? Like, what do you think that relationship is all about? You know, there's, um, most people who've been doing henna art for a long time, um, see a real strong division just, and when you think of it in terms of culture and history, 
as far as you know permanent body art versus temporary body art like tattooing really has its own um big rich cultural history so most people including myself like i don't call henna a henna tattoo because i see it as being like a pretty different it's both body art that and that they are similar um and i've definitely had people want me to draw something that they're going to get as a tattoo i've had people get tattoos of things i've drawn on them usually unbeknownst to me until after the fact (laughs) i'm like wow i wish i spent more than five minutes on that lotus but okay (laughs) (laughs) it's there forever now (laughs) yeah and they love it Yes, yes. But also, too, I think, you know, the cultures for whom henna has been part of for a really long time also um, see those arts as being very separate. Like one time last year, um, I was henning a little girl for her birthday and she was like eight um, I do when when things are normal. I do coffee shop appointments where I just meet one or two people. And the mom had arranged for her and her friend to come get henna from me. And it turned out that the birthday girl's friend was of Indian heritage, and she was so excited when she saw I was doing henna, like immediately knew what it was. Um, and the mom of the birthday girl said something like, "Oh, we're getting tattoos," and the girl with the Indian family was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) We're getting Mendy. We're not getting tattoos. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty American or Western thing to call henna tattooing. But I also think we call like anybody art tattooing, you know, like, cause I've even just painted a design on somebody's arm and they'll be like, it's a tattoo. Right. Um, it's like the the word that sort of encompasses everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, and go ahead. As, as an artist, for me, it's a little frustrating um, if someone is, you know, only seeing what I'm doing as a fake tattoo. You know, like a like a like almost like a joke, like oh ha ha ha. You know, I'm just gonna get. Uh, my husband's name and it'll be hilarious you know (laughs) I'm gonna send it to him and and I'm gonna tell him I got a tattoo and it's gonna be so funny you know there's always part of me in that moment it's like well I'm there are times when I'm working where I'm just you know making my buck and it's like whatever Um, but I'm also like really it's like I could really draw something cool on you yeah Yeah, and then, like, they're, I mean, they're missing the point. And, like, um, it sounds like there's a lot of times and places where it, it like, is a spiritual thing and a, there's a, a lot yes. of depth to the, the concept. Yes. And that would just yes. sort of be, like, making a joke of that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, it is celebratory and fun for sure and um and that's a piece of it you know um but if i have the preference you know for the kind of art i'm getting to draw on people i definitely love it to have a little more even if the person is like oh just do whatever you want there's still a little bit of a sense of like you know you're gonna make some art on me and 
and I trust you as an artist or, you know, I don't know. It's cool. I like, I like what people bring to me sometimes really unexpectedly. Um, like I do a lot of events where it really is just like speed and craziness. Like, you know, a lot of teen events like bar and bat mitzvahs or after proms, you know, graduation parties, stuff like that. Um, but even in those circumstances, I will have someone surprise me, you know, like one time I had the, at an after prom, I had a group, two couples, you know, who'd clearly just gone to prom together and the girls were all like, oh my God, we've got to get these, you know, this kanji symbol for friendship or love or something. And we all got to get it all matching because we're best friends and <laughs> this is what we're doing. And so the girls get their little, you know, matching kanji symbols. And then the dudes come up and this guy's like, can you draw a snook? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Brings up a picture of this fish and then like launches into the story of why catching this fish was like one of the most significant moments of his life and like what that fish means to him and why he would want it on it you know stuff like that that i'm like this is our you know this isn't just this fun like whatever we're getting this magic thing like you sat there in line and really put some thought into what was meaningful for you and that kind of moment just blows me away it's when they're like unexpected um in a moment where I'm not necessarily looking for someone to put a whole lot of intention into it and you know I'm like yeah give me the picture of that snook let's let's draw that on you totally <laughs> totally yeah and like uh, I mean you're doing yeah. you know you're doing public art you're doing art uh like as entertainment in uh, in some some forms of that are just like art as enter or art art in, as entertainment and definitely um I do the same thing with live wedding art you know yes. and it's, it's like it is a painting. It is like a keepsake for people. And then on the spot, it's art as entertainment for people. And I always just get hit with so many, like every moment, every interaction with a, any person that comes up is so different, you know, from like the grandma who's yeah. painted her whole life to the little girl who's like <laughs> totally like sometimes little kids will come up and be like totally mesmerized. And then um, some drunk groomsmen will come over and they'll make their jokes and like, I, every interaction is so different. Like it's really interesting making art yes. in a public setting because you get so much from every different person. So true. Do you think of yourself um, as an extrovert? I guess I'm I'm kind of both. I'm probably like sixty percent extrovert. Mm-hmm. But then uh -huh. I love my alone yeah. time too. I definitely am. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, of which we are getting yes, we a are. lot right now. Um, I really miss that about normal, my normal working is, you know, the couple of clients I've had, um, they've just come to my house and I've done art on them in the past month and a half. Um, I'm like, oh my God, I actually really love random conversations yeah. with strangers. <laughs> I really really enjoy that totally it's part like it's such a nice part of being a human on this planet is like experiencing the the variance yes. and the, the difference and uniqueness uh, that's out there 
Yes. Yeah. It is. Um, Okay, so one thing that we talked about before this was the concept of cultural appropriation and how it's a really big theme right now that's being talked about in lots of different fields and genres and areas of expertise. And I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it's pretty a big topic with what you're doing with henna do you want to go into that yes yeah definitely i feel like it's a really important topic to talk about right now and it's definitely been dominating in the henna community in general and i would say in the worldwide henna community um even bigger over the last couple of months um you know as a henna artist i've definitely had to deal with questions from time to time um, about uh, if it's okay for me to be using this plant, making this art, being part of this ceremony. Um, And, you know, for me, um, knowing the history of henna and that how it's been used by so many different cultures, Um, over thousands of years, I feel like it's my job to educate myself as much as possible. Um, I don't want to be the artist who's just using this plant to make a buck. And those people are definitely out there um, who actually know nothing about the history and the cultural significance. And um, I feel like I would be doing a real disservice and it would be cultural misappropriation for me to be using this plant um, without doing the best I can to show respect for those cultures who've used it before and um, to educate myself as much as possible and to go into it with a spirit of humility. Um, I feel like this has been a real big piece of it over the past decade or so um, is there's been a lot of white people using this art in America. And, you know, the, the purpose of it has been good. And so far as they've really been trying to educate people as far as like what's safe and what's natural, there's been this real push in the, in the community in general for using natural henna. Um, but there's also been a real tendency of some of the um, white artists to really look down their noses at other people from other cultures, you know, using the stuff that's not natural. Um, and that's always kind of bugged me because I feel like it's, it's all rooted in this sense of colonialism. Like it was a colonialism in the first place that, you know, took hair dye into Northern Africa or India, you know, and was like, you should use this because it's cheaper and it'll be blacker or, you know, stain darker, whatever. Um, and so it was kind of, it, from what I think and know, it was probably white people in the first place who like caused this adulterated stuff to be used anyway. I don't know. So I just try to have some humility and caution Um, and in the henna community at large, you know, there's been a real explosion kind of rooted around this, um, this general idea that like, you know, the white ladies in the community have 
the most to offer to the worldwide community at large. Um, there's been a really big group on uh, Facebook called the Henna Hub. That's, um, you know, I, I've been in a weird position because many of the moderators in that group have been mentors and are very dear friends of mine. Um, but I've also you know, been watching things unfold over the last couple of years in that community and I've had a lot of questions. Um, and whenever issues of cultural appropriation and why aren't there any moderators of color came up, um, which is a really valid question when you're talking about a plant and an art that did not originate with white American ladies, you know, um, whenever it was questioned in that group, it was always kind of squelched and shuffled under the table and um, not really addressed in a, in a proper and valid way. And when issues of racism came up in general, it was always kind of shuffled under the table. Everything exploded there a couple of months ago um, and really rooted in the whole in George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. I feel like this is one of those ripples that's just gone out and affected the world. But in my opinion, ultimately, in a really positive way, this conversation needed to happen so bad in the henna community. Um, and when it came up again, um, you know, I guess it was in June, um, it all just kind of imploded. And one of the main moderators and founders of that group ended up just completely shutting the group down, um, much to the shock and dismay of the worldwide community. Whoa. <laughs> um, Why did they do that? Could they just not handle the heat of it all? Or? I just think, yeah, I don't think when it came down to it, they could handle the heat. I think, you know, when they originally started the hub, I don't think they ever imagined that it would grow to be a group of thousands and thousands of people from all over the world. So I think it was already a little unwieldy and out of their scope at that point. Um, yeah. And I think when it really came up in such a pointed way, then they were just done have a they didn't even want to look at the possibility of a conversation which to me was sad and yet in another way I'm like that group had gone on for years and uh, had been unable to properly address this issue so in another way it's like well you know, we got to unfold in a new way. And I think it's making a lot of those other moderators who were part of the group who were willing to look at the hard questions, um, to sit with the hard questions. A, a lot of my friends and people I'm connected to are now like, what can we do? How can we make this better? How can we, um, how can we be part of the conversation and show proper humility and, um, and let some people of color in the community lead. Yeah, it's it's time. Yep. It's necessary. Well, and it's yeah. I mean, the, the like what we were talking about earlier with the cultural appropriation element. It seems like there's a couple different viewpoints, and one is that only people who have the background of whatever medium 
like they have like the bloodline yeah. or they've studied under somebody only they can do that thing yeah and then there's the other perspective yeah. that another one other perspective is that like it if the intention is there and the proper respects are paid and you know um then like mm-hmm. it's going in the same it's going in the right direction right and yeah. And I feel like I'm seeing the same sort of an argument happening every and then there's the people that just don't give a shit at all and they're just like doing it for the money. No. That every way totally. that you look at it that's wrong. But then the two other perspectives yep. are sort of like uh it's like almost like a purist or a globalist perspective. Right. And right. Laura, so it's almost like a nationalist. I mean like I don't know about nationalist, but it's like the only way you're in the group is if you're all, like you're grandfathered in and like you can't get in otherwise right. and so it's um it's a i feel like it's a really interesting conversation and it's being had around all these different topics that are in similar boats right 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 and um the people who usually have the biggest issue with it um from what I've seen are usually the people who aren't as educated about it with henna, you know, it's usually, and you know, I can, it's kind of easy for me to say because I don't have an enormous Instagram following, you know, I don't have a small city. I think the more public you are, the more you bear the brunt of that scrutiny in some ways. Like I definitely have friends who get the most horrible, mean messages from people. It's like they are constantly having to educate people about, you know, henna's not just from India. Henna's actually from multiple countries and multiple skin tones, multiple religions. And, um, you know, it actually has a much broader history. Like within the community itself, those questions don't come up like that. You know, it's more, it's more in terms of like how things exploded in the henna hub of like, why is it only the white ladies who are having the final say and being the leaders on this? You know, why aren't more voices being brought to the table for something that is such a multicultural yeah. art, you know, which is so valid and necessary. Um, but within the community itself, like I go to um, HennaCon, which is a henna conference in California every year. Um, it's attended by a couple hundred people. I think it's the largest henna conference in North America. Um, there are so many people who attend that from so many different cultural backgrounds and countries and histories and religions and um i don't i've never gotten a sense there that somebody's artist you know my sense is that we are all going there with something to learn from each other and from the other artists that are teaching there um it's very much a sense of support and community but also, but my perspective is also as a white lady and who's attending there as an instructor. So somebody who's attending might have a different perspective on that as well. Um, yeah. And that's the way the world works. <laughs> we've all, we've all got perspectives. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I, yeah. I guess all we can really do is yeah. just do our best and to be open to other people's perspectives and talk about things when they need to be talked about and adjust, like, you know, put different people in leadership positions if that's what needs to happen. And yep. Yes. Yeah. And listen, uh, I think that's what has really opened up for me, you know, in these past couple of months is like, it's time for me to shut up and hear these other artists perspective, yeah. you know, um, one artist um, of color who was at Hennecon actually posted a live Facebook thing um, as right after things had imploded and was just kind of talking about her experience and her experience at Hennecon sitting in a room talking with other artists and listening to this panel that was all about cultural appropriation and like what her experience of that was. So I think that's why as I'm talking about it, I realize I got to back off from this and think about this in terms of my experience because there are some people of color who've been at that conference who have also been mm. like, this moment didn't feel good. You know, this felt like a moment when I was ignored and, and not seen and not acknowledged. And, um, and that's what I want to be open to listening to now that, that the henna experience is very rich and very varied and um and it's worth hearing what other people are experiencing totally. and doing with it wow nice all right well uh that yeah. i i got some questions for you we're gonna switch gears here a little bit we got we got about nine and a half minutes okay. left so um i'm gonna throw a few of these at you what uh if you were to go back <laughs> okay. and and suddenly meet yourself from when you, when you were like ten to fifteen years old, what would you have to say to yourself? Oh, that's hard. Um, part of me would say make more art because I think I always wanted to when I was younger. All right, we're back. Yay. <laughs> okay, so you just met with your younger self and you one thought was that you would say make more art. Yes. And why is that? Um because I didn't allow myself to get comfortable making my art until I got more into my 20s. And even though I always loved making art, I kind of wish I had made more when I was younger. Yeah. What do you feel like held you back from that? Oh, probably feeling like I wasn't good enough. <laughs> you know, that that's that thing that holds everybody back. You know, the older I got, it, the more I was like, wait, it's actually like the making of it. That's the fun part. And without worrying about getting good or being good, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's important just to keep making um, however, I will also tell my younger self, when you go to college, take a couple of business classes. It'll help you later on. <laughs> <laughs> I would have told myself that too. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think, I mean, for me as an artist, I always fought it. I was like, no, that's yeah. the biz business is like 
the other side of the brain it's not it's the other side of culture that's not where i want to be i'm in this like free space it's not part of business but we live in a capitalist world where this is how it works so deal with it yes yes yeah and if you can find that path for making your living doing your art then yeah you're gonna need a couple of business skills Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you're gonna need another job and that's okay too. But either way, it's yes. like you gotta you gotta pay. The, it's a reality. Yes, um, exactly. That's good advice. Yes. Uh, okay. Next question: What is it that you are really geeking out on these days? Oh. And this can be sort of like a macro thing, or this can be like a real specific detail within the henna world, or whatever you want it to be. Okay. Um, well, definitely as things have kind of exploded or imploded, depending on how you look at it in the henna world, that's really opened me up to an awareness and listening to other artists. Um, although I don't think I've had this much of an extended period of time. I have not had this much of an extended period of time in my professional career of just watching other artists make art and making art along with them just to be making it, you know, like with henna, I feel like so much of what I'm usually working out is on other human beings. So um, during this time, there's been so many artists offering, you know, just Instagram live sessions. There's one that's called henna artist of the world unite. Um, that Nita Sharma, who's an artist, um, her handle is Mendy Designer on Instagram. And she's worked with a couple of other artists to organize these ongoing classes. You know, some days will be like full day marathons of artists from literally all over the world teaching these one hour Instagram live sessions. And it's like having a mini conference in my lap um, at least once a month. And I feel like that's been so fun to have myself kind of pushed as an artist and, you know, drawing and practicing sometimes daily. Um, That doesn't necessarily involve people. That really is just about like drawing with this medium. So I guess that's what I'm really geeking out on and actually kind of appreciating about this weird moment that we're in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, totally. I can see that. Now, uh, the last question is, what's your definition of art? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so big. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually really love that question. Okay, because it makes me think of like your wedding art too like I've actually had people when I'm working an event uh, you know to be to tell me something like you should consider doing this professionally or um (laughs) you should put this on a canvas you know that somehow like if I'm not doing it on a canvas then it's not actually real art um so we'll get that off the table immediately um it has to do with an act of creation um man and in a way that kind of puts product over process so uh, for me personally it's as much about the act of creating as the product that's on the other side of it 
Um, and then when you have another human being who's receiving that, I feel like I get this total unique art experience that involves every one of those things. It's like the perfect triangle, you know, that's like my creative process, the end product, and then this human being on the other side that's receiving it. But that's not what makes it art. Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> I'm going to say that's what makes art particularly awesome for me and particularly fabulous. But I guess it starts with that whole process of creating. Yeah. And, and do you love creating it? Like a lot of times when I'm teaching a class, I'll have a student be like, well, I'm not an artist. And I'm like, okay, do you doodle? And they'll be like, yeah, I love to doodle. <laughs> like, so you're finding joy just in that doodling. And I'm like, you're an artist. <laughs> yeah. You're making art. Oh, yeah. You're making you're art. An artist. And it's, it's that joy that you're finding right there that actually makes it, you're making art. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good. That's yeah. So I guess, is that a definition? Did I define art? Sort of? I think you did. I think you like <laughs> loosely, roundly, you know, without, it's a hard thing to define. It's. Oh my gosh. Sort of like how do you define art? Can I ask you that? How do I define art? Um, well, there's this one quote that is one of my favorite quotes by an artist named Robert, Henry, Robert Henri. And he said, the, the goal is not to make art. It's to be in that wonderful state where art making is inevitable. Yes. And I really like that a lot because it's like art isn't the thing. Art is the record of like what we call art is actually the record of what the true art was. And the art right. is bigger than art is the process. It is the final right. result. And it's also you and it's in it's the magic that's happening inside your heart and soul, as well as the thoughts that are happening inside your mind, the decision making, yeah. the zone you're in, the the just like the feeling that you get when you're making it like that's part yeah. of it. that's art also. And yeah, um, yeah I mean, like the, it kind of, it makes me think of just like the nature of reality. It's like. Like what's happening all the time is, is what's real. And then what we're actually like the three dimensional reality that we're walking through and the things that we look at and the stuff that's made, those are all relics from a past moment. Right. Yeah. And so like what we call art is actually the relic of like the moment of art. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's my answer in this moment right now. <laughs> That's your relic. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this podcast will be the relic of that moment of art. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Oh, awesome. Um, cool. Well, this is the part of the podcast where I acknowledge my guests and I explain why you're why I had you on here. And um, Leah, ever since I met you, you've just been this awesome shining light of art in, in Lafayette, Colorado, every time I go back home. And it's been fun to watch what you've been doing. And... You know, you, you bring all this like artistic energy to every community that you get into. And um, and and I've, you know, I've watched my mom and my sister get henna with you. And it's just this like really beautiful experience that you're keeping alive and you're bringing to new people all the time. And um, 
yeah it's just been it's been nice. great great knowing you through it all so thank you thank you so much i love that that's really cool definitely <laughs> um now where can uh where can people follow you well, I'm probably most up to date on my Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Face Fiesta, um, which my is my original business name. Although you will see way more henna than face painting <laughs> on my Instagram. Um, so Face Fiesta is pretty much my main handle. Although I actually have two websites. I have Face Fiesta, which encompasses everything I do, and then I also have Denver Henna which is focused specifically on henna. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds good. I'm sure that, that that one's probably search engine optimized. Like, um, Definitely, uh, definitely. Um, and Facebook, you know, is connected with my Instagram. I post mostly on my business page there, and it's under Face Fiesta and Denver Henna on cool. Facebook. Okay, sweet. Yeah. All right, well... Uh, yeah, you got any last nuggets of wisdom for the people? Man, <laughs> it's going to be really awesome when we get through this crazy time. Uh, this has, uh, The nugget of wisdom I think I have is that this conversation has reminded me how much I love to get to make the art I get to make, which has been a little easy to lose sight of in the time of not getting to do that. So thank you for that reminder. It's good. Good. Absolutely. That's, that's what we're all here for is to keep each other going. Um, Cool. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Taylor. (laughs) Have a good one. You too. Bye. So that, my friends, was Leah Riddell. She is awesome. She's got a really wonderful personality that I'm sure comes through in the recording. And if you get to meet her in person, uh, you can just feel the artistic creativity uh, coming through. She's, she's awesome. If you get a chance, if you're in Colorado, uh, look her up and see if you can get some henna done or check her out on face fiesta uh, on instagram and facebook it's like the, the face painting the body art is is really impressive i was scrolling through there the other day and it's it's awesome it's colorful it's vibrant it's beautiful it's well done um yeah check it out and i'm curious what you think about the whole concept of cultural appropriation like we were diving into um there's lots of schools of thought and lots of opinions and i'd like to hear what yours is this is definitely a hot button issue these days in a lot of circles and that's really that that's just an intriguing thing so um you know everybody everybody has the best intentions coming from the direction that they see it from so I would, I would love to hear what you have to say. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Taylor G Murals. Um, yeah, check my work out there. I make art. I'm creative. I'm sure you are too. Reach out to me. Tell me what you're, uh, what you're making while you're listening to this. That's the intention of this podcast is to inspire creativity in all you creative humans out there. And I want to know what you're doing. So 
send me something. Send me a DM. (laughs) Oh, this is a crazy world, folks. And I hope you're doing well, as well as you possibly can in it. Coronavirus is dragging out so freaking long. And from the looks of it, it's just going to keep on going. So here we are. Um, Might as well use the time to get creative. And a lot of people are. There's a lot of really cool evolutions of ideas and things that are happening through this. And yeah, even with all the terrible elements of it, there's also a lot of beauty and a lot of innovation and really, really cool stuff. So who fucking knows what the world's going to be like um, on the other side of it. Maybe better. Maybe this is all working out beautifully. Who knows? Um, I sure don't. But yeah, reach out. Love to hear what you have to say about things. And again, Leah, you're awesome. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, Cheers, everybody.